Lord, we are so grateful that we can be a people that are running after the vision that you have called us into to make disciples of all nations, God. And we wanna be a people that are obedient. So continue to help us and show us how. We love you, in your name we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so today we are digging into Romans chapter one in the second uh, section of this passage. And before we get into this, I just wanted to know, we have these amazing reading plans. A bunch of teachers and elders and writers from our church wrote reading plans. And the way that this works is, is if you grab one in the back, you can get a reading plan. And and basically the text that I I preach through on a Sunday um, is broken down verse by verse. And you can actually dig in deeper and spend the whole week engaging with this text. We also are in the process of getting it up on the Bible app, so not only could you engage with the text, eventually, not yet, it still uh, needs to be publicized, but eventually on the Bible app, you'll be able to actually engage as a church family, to ask questions, to go back and forth, to, to engage and, and really dig in. And so I would encourage you to grab the reading plan. One of, one of my, one of the, I really love the devotion tomorrow, um, is the first, is verse 18, where it talks about the wrath of God. And Gina Balasma, one of our writers, she wrote, I get to write a devotion about the wrath of God. Lucky me! <laughs> and that really resonated with me as I was looking at this text and thinking, okay, um, this is not a text that's very fun to preach through. Um, as a church, um, we have a conviction that we are called to preach through all of the Bible and not just like our favorite texts. And so part of working our way through a book of the Bible is that we're going to encounter texts and truths in scripture that run contrary to some of the ways that our culture and society are calling us to live. But we are a people that believe that the word of God is authoritative, is without error. We are a people that stand for the reading of scripture and want to submit to the reading of scripture. And so I would just encourage you, my prayer today is I have no desire to bring offense to anyone. I have no personal desire to bring offense to anyone. Um, But if the word of God brings offense, then we must be obedient to that. And so as we navigate this text today, as we think through this, my prayer is that we would just have this gentle, faithful desire to learn from God about what he means, what he would have for us from this text. And as we're looking at this text, I felt like I'm kind of in this moment with Paul. It reminds me of this famous movie called A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. You guys remember this movie? There's this scene, this epic, iconic scene when they're in court and Tom Cruise is questioning Jack Nicholson. And he says, I just want the truth. Jack Jack Nicholson says, you want the truth? He says, I think I'm inclined to the truth. And he says, you want the truth. And Tom Cruise gets really, he says, I want the truth. And then Jack Nicholson matches his passion and says, you can't handle the truth. Remember this moment? And then he goes off on this epic rant. I feel like it's kind of a little bit of that moment today as we look at Romans chapter one. It's a little bit of a moment of me saying, Paul, I want the truth as we think about sin, as we think about our struggle, as we think about this world and and the darkness and all the hard things. And Paul's saying, do you really want the truth? And, And maybe for some of us thinking, I don't know if I can handle the truth. 
I don't know if I can handle the truth. Here's the big idea that I want us to think about today that I believe Paul is calling us to, a principle, and it's this. When you can't handle the truth, you will spiral in sin. When you can't handle the truth, capital T, truth, you will spiral in sin. I'm a big fan of NBA playoffs. Big Warriors fan, okay? Um, championship, champion Warriors, okay? Been watching them, and uh, it's been really fun. It's been a great dynasty that they are building, and there's this one player on their team that I would say oftentimes falls into what I would call a spiral. You ever had that moment where you feel like you're kind of spiraling out of control? There's this one player, his name's Draymond Green. He's, he's kind of the, the, the heart and soul of the defense, and every once in a while, actually more often than not, he spirals. It's like something gets at him, and he can't let it go, and he can't help himself but talk to the referee or foul really hard, and, and, and oftentimes, I feel like at least two or three times in the last few years in the playoffs, he's been ejected and suspended because he's spiraling. I think Paul is getting after this, this, this tendency that we have to spiral. Here in Romans chapter one, I believe he's talking about what I would call the suppression spiral. The suppression spiral. This, this idea that when you suppress, when you can't handle the truth, if you, if you really don't embrace the truth that Paul is communicating to us in this text, in the gospel of our unrighteousness, we are going to fall into this suppression spiral. Verse 18 He's continuing the conversation, right? Last week, we talked about the gospel. We talked about the truth that God is righteous. You are unrighteous, and God is righteously righteousing the unrighteous. This beautiful gospel that we need God. We need his work. And then right out of this, Paul gets into our unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of the world. He says this in verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You can't handle the truth. We'll, we'll, we'll get more into, I think Paul explains to us what he means by the wrath of God in a little bit here, so we'll tackle that in a second. But notice here, he just talked about our unrighteousness, and he says, who by their unrighteousness, a part of our unrighteousness, is suppressing the truth. What I love here is Paul anticipates our response here. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. In theology class, we would call this the doctrine of general revelation. That you can look at the skies and look at the, 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 the sun and the stars and the galaxies. And me and Nolan were just talking about the incredible vastness 
of recognizing that earth exists as a part of a galaxy that is a part of a universe that is so big and so mighty, or you go to Yosemite and you look at the beauty of creature of creation, or you or you just look at the human body, you look at the fact that we have fingernails, or or the way that the heart beats, or the fact that I'm living and I'm breathing, and you just feel there's something in you that just feels like it's designed. Like it's it's not it's not chance. Like there's some sort of design to it. And Paul is resorting to this. He's, he's, he's calling us to this to say that there's this truth in all of humanity that sometimes we suppress that there is a God, that he is transcendent, that he is in control, that he is sovereign. And he's saying they're suppressing the truth, but they are without excuse. We all know this. He goes on, verse 21, he says this. For although they knew God, they knew, they had that general, general revelation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I think this is a little taste of what I'd call in that suppression spiral. Because of this suppression, they, their, their hearts are darkened and they start to spiral. He explains what he means by this. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's this great exchange that seems to be happening. James K.A. Smith, he wrote this book called You Are What You Love that really gets after this same argument that Paul is making. He is saying that our design that when we were created, the scriptures tell us we were created in the image of God. That God created us to worship. And so if there is a God, but we suppress that God, we still have in us this innate design to worship something. So if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. And here Paul says they've exchanged the worship of the creator for created things. In the Old Testament, you see this in graven images and false gods or idols. Love this quote from James K. Smith. He said this, he says, as we've seen, it's not a question of whether you worship, but what you worship. Which is why John Calvin refers to the human heart as an idol factory, the heart of humankind is an idol factory. We can't not worship because we can't not love something as ultimate. Our most alluring idols are less intellectual inventions and more effective projections. They are the fruit of disordered wants, not just misunderstanding or ignorance. There's a lot there. And I don't have time to unpack that all for you. I just kind of wanted to like drop that on you and walk away. So there you are. You're welcome. Read the book. But in this, James K. Smith is getting after this, this call. Paul here in this passage is, is, is reminding us that we have this tendency, this desire to want to worship something. 
And then out of this, Paul gets into three instances where it says, he says, and God gave them up. It's really interesting. This, this term, God gave them up, is most likely a hyperlink or a connection back to these Old Testament language. When the people would sin against God, they would, they would turn their backs to God and, and it would say that God would give them up to their enemies. And the Amalekites or the Philistines, he would give them up. And, this, and Paul is using the same language, and it, it's, it's, but what's really interesting here is he's talking about giving them up to themselves. The wrath of God is displayed not in like God like sending some lightning bolt from heaven or pouring out some disaster on people. The wrath of God is displayed in just letting humanity and our depravity do our thing. One commentator says, it's like God is holding a boat and the current of the river and he just at some point just lets go and lets man to his own devices. And Paul is saying, this is a part of that sin spiral, of that spiraling that he's giving them up. And then he gives us three examples of the way that God gives up those who can't handle the truth to this spiral. First, idol worshiping. He gives them up to idol worship. He's already made an allusion to this earlier by talking about how they've worshiped the created things versus the creator. He says, therefore, God, here's that language, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. Whenever you see this word lust, this is not about love. This is, lust is a disordered way of using something that God has given us, a passion, a desire, and instead of something that is meant to be given and received, it's something that is taken. This always relates to being to taking something for yourself. This is a lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchange, there's this great exchange going on, the truth about God, the general revelation, there's a God, he exists, he's righteous, for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now, it can be easy to read this text and be like, oh man, those people and their, their, their false gods and their idols and worshiping them. I'm so glad that we live in a day and age where we don't have that kind of idolatry. <laughs> and the truth is, in every single age, every single moment, we have idolatry. It just looks a little different. I remember talking about this a while back and preaching about this, like, you know, we, we, in the age of Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, in the age of, 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 of gathering likes and, and followers and subscribers, in the age of filters, in the age of, of wanting people to see us, I remember talking about this and saying, if, if we ask, what are the idols today looking out into the congregation, and one of our elders was sitting there with a big smile on his face, and he's just pointing at himself. The truth is, in the age of the modern self, the key, I would say, root of our idolatry is self. We live in an age, hear this, of you be you, your truth, your passions. And, and, and there's, 
And I'm not saying there's necessarily something horribly wrong or evil about that, but the Christian confession is not about you belonging to yourself. The Christian confession is that yes, we were created in the image of God, with dignity, with beauty, for good, to belong to God. Our identity is not me be me, it's me belong to God. And we miss this, and, I would, and I, as I read this, I just think, man, I must be careful that I don't fall in to the age of self. And so we see first this idol worshiping. Second, we see in the NIV, the translation of the dishonorable passions, the word shameful lusting. I wanted to use those words, shameful lusting, because I just, uh, that word lusting to me really captures this. When you have these desires and you just take for yourself because I need to be me and I need to take the things that I know that I want that are valuable. Paul gets after this in a really explicit way. He says here in verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions in the NIV, it says shameful lusting. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And here, it's really important as you see this, what God is saying, it's really important that you understand what he's not saying. This is not saying that God is condemning same-sex attraction, that God is condemning some sort of orientation. What he is condemning is anything outside of the biblical sexual ethic. And the biblical sexual ethic is that sexual intimacy is good, created by God for man and woman in the context of marriage. That's the, that's, that, that's the biblical sexual ethic of what, of what a biblical worldview would say. Now, we are human, and we have desires that exist outside of that ethic, not just same sex. We have premarital, we have extramarital, we have all sorts of things, and, and, and the, the, the scriptures teach us and tell us that we must live under the good, benevolent word of God that tells us that this is what is best for humanity. And so we see this here played out, and we'll talk more about this as we get into application about how we walk through this. So we see idol worshiping, we see shameful lusting, and third, we see what I would like to call depraved thinking. Depraved thinking. Verse 28 says this, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they wouldn't, give him they wouldn't give him glory, they wouldn't acknowledge his existence, God gave them up, he let them go to a debased or a depraved mind to do what, not, what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, and we have this list of vices, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and I'm starting to think, okay, I'm doing great. 
I must not be in the sin spiral. They are gossips. Uh oh. <laughs> Slanderers. Oh, I may have said some things at, at some time. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then he summarizes it all in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, hear this, but give approval to those who practice them. We're stuck in this spiral. As I read this and I think about this, it can be really easy to read this and to think, oh yeah, I know that one person, oh man, they're spiraling. Oh, that one, that one kind of person, oh, they're spiraling. But hear this, beloved, we are to read this and to look at ourselves. I was reading it this week, and oftentimes the Lord reveals my struggles, my idolatries, my sin, through this little thing called Little League Baseball. We were having a game, and uh, we were in this moment, we were playing one of the best teams uh, in our league, and um, they have some fans on the other side um, that uh, I have a difficult time with. And we were playing a game, and I'm the, I'm the manager, so I'm coaching from third base, and uh, one of our kids hits a ball between first and home. The catcher gets up, goes in front of my player. My player has to stop and go around, right? And I'm thinking, this is interference. He should get a free base. He's out. The umpire calls him safe. Now, you know, being, you know, Pastor Logan, great guy, you know, I just gently walk up, and no, I yell to the umpire, you know, I kind of throw a fit. Oh, what happened? He's, he's gotta be safe. <laughs> and the umpire explains to me, well, the catcher was in foul ground, and, and I still think the umpire was wrong, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he's safe, or he's out. And I start walking to the umpire to have a, a deeper, more intimate conversation about the matter. <laughs> and I hear the fans in the stands say, hey, coach, you should read the rule book. And in that moment, evil, malicious slander starts to... <laughs> Have you had this happen? In that moment, words started to come to mind that I wanted to speak. And I felt the Lord telling me, Logan, like, you got some things in you that you need to work on still. There's still this struggle in you with sin and evil and idolatry and your own need to be right and your own need to. This is Little League Baseball. Young boys are watching you. How you respond matters. And being right is less important than having character. And the Lord convicted me in that moment and I believe as we look at this, for many of us, we have blind spots to our own sin and our own idolatry. And we read a text like this and we just say, oh yeah, this is all about this issue, this social issue. And we miss the fact that Paul is dealing with sinners and we fall into this category. And if we're not careful, we spiral. And many of us can easily have blind spots that we are in denial about. 
You may say, I'm all fine and good, but I go talk to your spouse, and your spouse says, oh no, he's got a major anger issue. Oh, he has, a, he has this, un, this, this secret struggle with this. She has this problem with this. And I believe this is invitation we have from Paul here to be honest about our tendency to spiral. And in that moment, to remember Jesus. Remember, he's talking with his disciples and he's talking about how he's going to heaven to prepare a place for them. And he says that he's gonna prepare a place for them, he's gonna come back and bring them with him. And then, and then Thomas, the disciple, he tended, he tended, Thomas tended to have questions and doubts. He says, Lord, how will we know the way? And I felt myself asking with Thomas, Lord, how do I know the way out of this spiral? Is it just to do better, do better living? Is it behavior management? Is it for me just to try harder? Is it for me just to, just to work harder, to read my Bible more, to pray more, to, 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 to have more things in place, to, to be more involved, to serve more and love more? And Jesus says this. He says, says to him, Thomas, and I believe he's saying it to you and I, stuck in the spiral. He says, I am what? The way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Beloved, the only way out is in Jesus. The only way out is in Jesus. And I believe Paul is, even in this very difficult moment, there's this beautiful invitation into grace. And it's not just about me recognizing, okay, look at the stars or look at Yosemite or think about the intelligent design of creation. It's not just on what is on the outside. It's also this deep desire in me that believes that I know that, that deep within what is right and wrong and that I need God. Herman Bavinck, a, a Dutch theologian, wrote a book called The Wonderful Works of God. He had a quote, it's pretty long, so stay with me. But I thought it was really beautiful about this longing within, with all of us in our sin spirals, this longing and this, this gut instinct that there's a way out. He says this, scripture leaves no doubt about it, whatever. After God had made all things, he created man and he created him immediately in his image and after his likeness. Man is God's offspring. Even though like the lost son in the parable, he has fled his paternal home, still even in his most distant straying, I would say, spiraling, he cherishes a memory of his origin and destination. In his profoundest fall, he still remains certain small remains of the image of God after which he was made. God reveals himself outside of man. He reveals himself also within man. He does not leave himself without witness in the human heart and conscience. And I believe, beloved, in this, we have this gospel lesson we have this gospel lesson that we must not miss. 
And the lesson is this. The way out of the spiral of sin is the way in the rhythm of grace. The way out of the spiral of sin is the way in the rhythm of grace. There's this verse that I often, it seems to make it into my sermons almost every week. Sometimes I purposely leave it out because I'm trying not to say it, but, the, but, but, but I just always makes it in, and it's the words of Jesus. It's the only time that Jesus ever talks about his heart. When Jesus tells people that his heart is gentle and lowly. And he's talking to a people who are spiraling. He's talking to a people who are longing for a way out. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates the famous passage when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly. Eugene Peterson in his message translation, he translates that text this way. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, here it is, the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Beloved, I pray that that invitation from Christ, and maybe you're hearing his voice, and, you're, and you just need to receive that today. As we reflect on this gospel lesson, there's a few things I'd like you to leave you with for gospel practice. Not only do we have these truths, how do we live this out today? What is this text telling us as a faith community in how we should live? And the first thing I would say is root out idols. I wanted to use that word root because I believe that idolatry, this, this tendency to, to worship and make other things disordered loves, make other things ultimate that should not be ultimate is a tendency that we are prone towards. And, 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 to, and to root out idols, we can't just like, you know, you can't just get, like get the weed whacker and go and, and just get, the, get weeds at the root and make them look like grass. That doesn't work. It might work for a little bit, but they grow and they continue to do their job. You have to dig into the dirt and you gotta figure out what those roots are and you gotta pull them out by the grace of God. As I've been looking at this and thinking about this and reflecting, I'm always trying to preach these sermons to myself and I've been asking the Lord, like, what are some idols in my life? And God's been telling me something. I didn't even know if I wanted to articulate this because I'm not sure I'm there yet, um, but I have this... Um, Problem with shoes. You guys have probably noticed. I, I, I like shoes. I like wearing Jordans. I like, I collect shoes. As I was thinking about this, I was, the Lord kind of started saying, Logan, why? Like, why, why do you need to have seven pairs of Jordans? <laughs> I started thinking about that. Well, I like shoes. I like collecting them. And then I started thinking, but... Maybe there's a part of me that still needs to be honest about my need for people to think I'm cool. 
my, my need for people um, to like the way I look, my need for people to accept me and to lift me up, and, and God's been working on me and thinking, okay, maybe you need to slow down on the shoe purchasing. And maybe for some of us, we, you, you can relate in some way to maybe having some things that you're just not being honest, for, honest about, some, some blind spots of things that you've lifted up. Maybe it's not something like shoes, maybe it's a career or a job. Maybe it's, it's your very own family before God. Maybe it's a, a broken wound or a bitter piece that you're not willing to forgive. What are the things that God is calling us to root out. We are a people who do not worship created things. We worship a creator. So I would say root out idols. And second, this is a very hard piece, but I believe this is a piece that Paul wants the church to, to practice. We need to name sin, sin. We need to name sin, sin. And as we do this, I would encourage you to pray for grace in these conversations. And that when you name sin, sin, you name them in places of faith, community, and mutual respect. In particular, what you're probably thinking about right now is in this moment, Paul talks about the, 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 the sin of, of sexual immorality. And hear this, we, we must be a people that can divide the difference between acceptance and affirming. We are called to be a people that accept all men and women as image bearers of God and welcome all men and women into our faith community. But as we welcome and as we accept, we must also be honest and not affirm sin of any kind, and there's a balance and a nuance to this and a, and a challenge to this, and we live in an age of outrage. It's so hard to live in this space because unlike any other age, oftentimes these kind of conversations, they don't happen out of relational authority, out of love. They oftentimes happen on Facebook or on Twitter or on, on something, and, and, we, and we've kind of developed like this Roman Colosseum where it's like, hey, you two, you guys go in the Colosseum, all your friends will watch you argue about that. And we'll just silently, we'll like or we'll comment or we'll retweet, and, and we're just living in an age of outrage as opposed to mutual respect and honor and dignity of God's created beings. We must navigate these conversations with grace and truth. And I invite you to remember that. One of the, one of the convictions we have as a church is that we would be a church that does stand on, in particular, this biblical sexual ethic. Part of our new denomination that we're in, the Kingdom Network, says this, we confess this together every year. One of the center set beliefs that we believe unites us is this, it says, we intend to celebrate and defend a biblical view of sexuality. Man is for woman and woman is for man. Heterosexual marriage is the space for good sexual intimacy. Any other relationship where there is sexual activity is sin and requires, hear this, the grace and truth of the gospel. We will be communities of light, 
and hope. And as we hear this, it's probably uncomfortable because we live in a culture that, that wants to cancel this. But my prayer is that as you read this, if you're like me, you can think of dear loved ones, people that you have relationships with, that you are going to love, that you are going to accept, and that, that you will try to have honest conversations with full of grace. And I pray as you hear this, this is not about talking about an issue. Preston Sprinkle says this. He says, debates about sexuality are not about issues. They are about people. Please remember that. Please remember that when you have these conversations. Don't go grab this sermon and retweet that and say, let's call sin, sin, and, and, and just totally condemn anybody that, that, that is outside of that. Let's have, let's have gentle, honest conversations about what the scriptures are saying. Root out, root out idols. Name sin, sin. And I'm not just talking about that issue, I'm talking about all of our sin. Let's call it sin. The other day my daughter, we were talking about, um, uh, she had an issue where she tore up her homework and she said, I made a mistake, I accidentally did it. No, we didn't accidentally do that. That was out of anger, right? Let's have family conversations. Let's name those kind of behaviors what they are. But also, I wanna close with this. Don't miss the implicit, the, the, the undercurrent that Paul is calling the church to. Worship your creator. Worship your creator. Don't miss this call. This, is, this is, is foundational to this conversation, that we are a people who worship our creator. I love it in this moment. In this text, as Paul's writing something really hard, he has this little piece that I thought was kind of funny and also kind of beautiful. In verse 26 or 25, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. All of a sudden he says, who is blessed forever, amen. It's like Paul can't help but break out in doxology as he thinks about the creator. And this must be the way that we interact and the way that we think about our idolatry, the way that we think about our sin is that we just say, okay, yes, it's about the creator and as I worship him and I live in the light of the gospel, I am unrighteous, separated from God. God is righteous. God, in his righteousness, he makes me righteous. Thanks be to God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I live in light of this beautiful truth. My prayer on this Lord's Day is that you wouldn't leave feeling like you're beat up. You wouldn't leave feeling like, oh man, I'm such a sinner. You would leave thinking, oh man, I have such a savior. You would leave thinking, oh man, I can't wait to continue to worship my creator and I want to share this with the world. This is good news. So I exhort you, I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, the best thing we can do in response is worship. Is worship a God who sees us in our unrighteousness, 
and in his benevolence makes a way for us to become righteous. The good father calling the prodigal child home. Let's be a people that constantly are coming home. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. We praise you for your word. And God, even on days like today when we read something that is really hard, I, I, I just confess, God, I don't even wanna preach this sermon. But God, it's important, it's necessary, it's, it's your word, and, and you have a way of reminding us of grace and reminding us of, 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 of your goodness to us. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to navigate this, that we would not be people who suppress the truth. We would not be people who can't handle the truth, that we would let the truth of your word do its work in us and that its work would be in the rhythm of grace. I pray, God, that as we sing together, it is well with my soul. As we confess our faith in you through this beautiful hymn, may you, by your spirit, do your work within everyone here. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.